Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. This is Bewilderbeasts, an infotainment show dedicated to inspiring curiosity for all ages by investigating the ways animals intersect at humanity. I am not a historian, an ethologist, a researcher, a scientist, a zoologist, a trained audio engineer, or an expert in, well, anything. Y'all, I'm lucky if I can remember to put my clean laundry in the dryer before it gets funky. And while I make every effort to present things as accurately as I can with a fun flair, I'm going to mess up. And that's okay. I hope I've given you a nice place to jump off from on your own adventures into curiosity, or at the very least, I've given you the key to win your next round of trivia. And welcome to Bewilderbeasts. I'm your host, Melissa McHugh McGrath, and today in Bewilderbeasts, we are going to talk about an ugly fish that makes a beautiful friendship, a dog who flunked out of service dog school, and is helping people in a very different way by following his bliss, and how crafting with giant googly eyes are saving thousands of birds in Estonia. Okay, let's go. So the last couple of episodes have been pretty long, and going into summer break, I wanted to go back to our roots a bit with some shorter stories that are maybe more feel-good, oxytocin-releasing goodness that should make you feel like all is right in the world, at least for a few minutes. We have just a couple more episodes before breaking into summer. If you have any ideas for the show that you'd like me to cover in the last couple of weeks, send them in. I'll do my best to cover them or maybe use them as bonus fodder over the break from time to time. If you'd rather I do a deeper dive on a longer story and you're cool waiting until we get back to September, I promise to do your story justice. One of the stories today is about an arson detection dog. And one of the presentations I was able to give kids last summer were all about unusual jobs that people can do with animals. And I wanted kids to think that there are more options out there to work with animals than being a veterinarian or a dog trainer. Not that those are bad gigs. I personally love being a dog trainer and one of my besties is a veterinarian. But there are other jobs that you can do if you love animals and if you want to work with them. And I will post that presentation for all ages on all social media this week and I will link to it in the show notes. Hopefully it inspires you to look at unique jobs that you can do or maybe consider if working with animals is your thing. It was my thing And if I had the internet at the time and knew that these options existed when I was a lot younger, I might have done something very, very different. But I'm so very glad that I stumbled into dog training as a profession. I get to work with people and dogs, and I teach in two languages, dog and English. And I help people who want to be dog trainers, too, find a way to do so ethically and responsibly, and my job brings me great joy. I get invited to speak at conferences and go to groups all over. And, you know, I even got to write a book about something that we don't usually think about when we have dogs, how cities and how that very environment in which we live impacts our dogs who hear better than we do, and they see the world through their noses. Hooray, trash day and more. So while I love opportunities that I've had with my profession, the friends I've made, the life I've made with dogs, and the students that I've helped or sent people in the right direction to get good help, the dogs that I've had the privilege of helping in many different ways, I do also wonder sometimes what 
What if I knew more about working with animals and the other options available? So maybe this little presentation will help you out too if you're thinking about living and working with all sorts of animals, not just dogs. So that's that. I can't think of anything else. I'm just excited for summer and I'm excited to do these last couple of episodes before our break. And I hope you are too. So without further ado, let's talk about some pretty cool animals intersecting at humanity, shall we? The Kubidae, or Asian sheep's head wrasse. It's a giant pinkish fish weighing in at over 30 pounds or 14.7 kilograms with a giant bulbous-like protuberance on its forehead and is hermaphroditic, meaning that it's both born with male and female sex organs and, in this case, it can change biological sex. According to BBCEarth.com, while talking about the Asian sheep's head wrasse, who the world witnessed actually changing from female to male in the very first episode of Blue Planet 2. Quote, After many months, the transformed male emerges from its lair larger than before, bearing testes, a huge bulbous forehead, and an aggressive nature. Now even larger than the existing dominant male it had previously mated with when female, the new male defeats the aged alpha in a violent battle for dominance. About 2% of fish species display some kind of hermaphrodism. That's 500 different species worldwide. Some like the kubodai, the Asian sheep's head wrasse, change routinely from female to male, and others like the clownfish do the opposite. They go from male to female. Still others can switch back and forth depending on the circumstance, such as the mangrove killifish lives a fully hermaphroditic existence. It self-fertilizes for their entire reproductive lives. And if that wasn't complicated enough, almost all fish have the capacity to switch sex in the embryonic stage if subjected to one or more of a number of environmental factors, including the acidity of the water, parasites, chemical pollutants, and temperature. End quote. In fact, this type of hermaphrodism is really good from an evolutionary standpoint. So let's say a female fish can produce offspring, lay eggs, be a lady or whatever that means, for the first half of her life. And then she can switch to male and continue reproducing long after her days of laying eggs and hatching young are over. That's so many more genes that this one individual fish can now contribute to future generations. But going back to our friend the kubidae, or Asian sheep's head wrasse. The male is aggressive and, I'm sorry if you love this fish, ugly. Super cool, amazing creatures, but soup's not cute. They look like a very angry umpire in a baseball game that just got hit in the head with a 90 mile an hour fastball. But looks are not what matter in a good friendship. Love is blind. In 2017, the news cycle went bananas for this one massive kubidae fish who was over 30 years old at the time, and an unlikely friend, a 79-year-old diver named Haruyuki Arakawa. Back in the 1990s, Haruyuki was caring for an unusual feature at this dive site, an underwater Shinto shrine, which is not where most people would expect to find a place of worship and to pay respects to the Shinto gods or to pray for good fortune. But this isn't the only unusual thing about this sacred space. This particular shrine attracts all kinds of tourists. It's the most popular dive site in the area, and it's great for beginners as there is an abundance of biodiversity and very little current, and also a place where you can drink coffee underwater. Y'all, this place looks super cool and so unique, 
but this shrine is also located at the Hasama Marine Park, a marine hospital for injured and sick animals. But the friendship between Yuriko, the sheep's head wrasse, and Hiroyuki is so incredible and rare. Documentaries have covered their unique bond. It all started in the 1990s when Hiroyuki was part of a team that built the Shinto Shrine underwater at a depth of about 56 feet. This was Yuriko's home. But one day, Hiroyuki dove down to tend to the shrine and he noticed Yuriko was exhausted and not eating. He also described an injury to her face. Hiroyuki said that he gave Yuriko five crabs a day for 10 days. Y'all, he dove down to the shrine for 10 days straight just to help this fish. Since then, for the last 30 years, Hiroyuki and Yuriko have a bond like no other. He rings the bell at the shrine and Yuriko will come over and allow Hiroyuki to stroke and touch her. And there's a video of him without his oxygen mouthpiece in. He's barefaced and he's kissing the top of her head. And she leaned into him. He's very clear that Yuriko will not tolerate this human rudeness from anyone else but him. He says of Yuriko, I kissed her once, but I'm the only one she will let do it. I mean, I kind of feel like my husband would say the same thing about me. There's a lot to be said for being kind to animals and helping an animal in need. He fed her where she was. He didn't trap her and take her into his house. He helped her in the way that she needed it, and as a result, they have this unbreakable friendship that has lasted over 30 years. He says in an interview with Great Big Story, I think anyone can get an animal's attention with food, but to touch or interact with them is harder to accomplish. I guess she knows that I saved her, that I helped her when she was badly injured. There's a sense of trust between us. So for me to be able to do that, I have an amazing sense of accomplishment in my heart. So for more about this unusual bond, check out the show notes on a YouTube video or the Dodo or any one of these sites about Yuriko and Hiroyuki. And this is a story for everyone who has ever flunked out of something. Your worth is not tied to flunking out. You just have to find your thing. Last week, we talked about how seeing eye dogs came to be such an important option for people who want to have more freedom navigating the world. Other dogs called service dogs can do tasks, not necessarily helping guide the blind, but help with other tasks too. Alert if an owner is going to have a seizure or a diabetic shock. Guide a handler out of a busy situation if the dog can sense a panic attack or a PTSD episode coming on. Sheldon the Labrador was going to be one of these service dogs, one of the elite that are tasked with helping people be safe in public. But like many adults can relate to, sometimes we end up in a job that we just don't like. It's the part in the Disney movie where the kid says, but I don't want to be a cobbler, daddy. I want to be a dancer. Some dogs are bred or chosen for service dog work, just are not going to make it. Just like everyone who tries out for the Navy SEALs don't make the cut. The work service animals do is hard work. They can't be distracted at all. They have to ignore everything except for their handler and what is going on around the handler, and they need to keep focused. Well, Sheldon flunked out. He flunked out because he just kept getting distracted by smelling stuff. I mean, have you met dogs? 
This is entirely their thing. We've talked about dogs on this show who can sniff out COVID-19 and cancer and whale poop for science. The dogs who are not distracted by smells are much harder to find, and I would say they are the unusual dogs in this case, but Sheldon was a dog, a dog distracted by his schnoz, and that's normal. And Sheldon got up from not cutting it as a service dog, and he found a new purpose saving people in a whole new way, as an arson detection dog. After getting the red slip from service dog school, Sheldon was picked up by the State Farm Arson Dog Program, a program that started in 1993 and has trained over 425 dogs to find accelerants after a fire. These can be gasoline, kerosene, other eens, I'm sure, just things that make fires go faster. And now, after Googling it, I'm totally on a list. A list that 100 handler teams from this school are for sure looking at right now in their next investigation. So Sheldon went to the farm, State Farm Arson Dog School, and he took to it like a fish to water, a worm to mud, a dog to sniffs, and he's totes killing it. He was partnered with Lieutenant John Tadlock of the Saginaw Fire Department in Saginaw, Texas, where he clicked with his handler and went right to work as the first arson detection dog for the Saginaw Fire Department. Sheldon is using his nose, sniffing what his mama gave him every day for work. He's able to take the thing that made him terrible at service dog work, and he uses it to solve criminal cases where people set fires for insurance money. He's doing the thing that got him in trouble, and he is still helping people. And here's my favorite part. The State Farm Arson Detection School is in my home state of Maine, and I had no freaking idea it was there. So I'm going to go make some adjustments to my search history by fervently searching for how to become an arson dog instructor. Stat. This story has it all. Googly eyes, the movie Wally, saving wildlife. I'm so excited for this story. Okay, well, let's start with the best piece in every crafting box, the googly eyes. Not just any googly eyes, giant googly eyes. Who doesn't love some giant googly eyes? One of my favorite things every year is walking around the neighborhood where some perfect weirdo in my city puts Google eyes on everything. Knots on trees, tree roots, rocks, trash cans, everything. And it always makes me giggle. My dog, Captain Love, once lifted his leg to pee on a tree, looked around as you do when you pee since he doesn't have a phone with social media on it or a newspaper to read. And he's a dog, so he can't read anyway. But when he was just casually looking around, a set of eyes were right at his nose level. Mid-pee, this poor dog jumped back, ran behind me, and peered nervously around my legs. He's a 50-pound dog, y'all. He then checked it out. He was totally fine. He did take a wide berth around that particular tree after the incident, though, for quite some time. But if Captain Love could have that reaction to fake eyes, remember the amygdala hijack from a few weeks ago? Why we startle when we see something and we haven't had a chance to process it yet? A fundamental piece of a true phobia is this amygdala hijack. Well, if it can happen to you or me, or a captain seeing a plastic eye on a tree, maybe we could use this idea to help animals. And three cheers for science again. Yay! 
according to a study by the Journal of the Royal Society Open Science, there is a way to reduce birds from getting caught in fishing nets by employing giant freaking googly eyes. BirdLife International and the Estonian Ornithological Society discovered that they can save birds from getting caught in fishing nets if they build a device called a looming eye buoy, which I keep reading as looming eye buddy, which also works in this case. Either way, an LEB device works functionally as an aquatic scarecrow, and it looks like WALL-E, my very favorite Pixar film. I've watched this movie no fewer than a hundred times, and I still find something new in it every single time I watch it. So the looming eye buoy buddy LEB thing is a robust tall stick that is attached to a bright yellow buoy with giant eyes. And as we learned way back in the very first episode of Bewilderbeasts, farmers painted eyes on cow butts to keep predators at bay. Predators like lions that were there to eat cow. Eyes, or the perception of eyes, work really well to keep animals away. Think of moths. With those big circles on their wings, those are supposed to look like eyes, and that is evolution's way of keeping birds from eating these moths. Many predators gain an advantage when they are able to sneak up and not be seen, but the illusion. With painted bovine booties, or moths with eyes on their wings, or giant googly eyes on buoy buddies, can do something special. They can help reduce the number of the 400,000 fishing birds from diving into water near fishing nets and getting caught in those nets and unfortunately dying. When fishermen and fisherwomen catch animals and fish that are not the intended target, say, dolphins getting stuck in tuna nets, that's a huge issue. And that is called bycatch. And anything we can do to reduce bycatch is good for animals, the fishing industry, and even other fish. And while no single method will keep all birds from diving into these nets, which is a whole other conversation, this might just be an inexpensive way to buy some time while we figure out more ways to help save birds and reduce bycatch. In this particular case, 30% fewer long-tailed ducks congregated and fished near the buoy buddies, and that's rather significant. I, for one, would love nothing more than to see giant windmills and water turbines, LEBs, and more devices with just giant googly eyes to save these birds while reducing our carbon footprint and bycatch. If when we can fly internationally again, if we were to look down and see the ocean dotted with little wallies and wally-like friends floating and bobbing in the ocean with their giant googly eyes as we continue to find other ways to save these birds, maybe we can find some other uses too. I would just like to think that that would make me feel very, very giddy and happy. And now, I'm, I'm going to sign off and go watch Wally again. Thank you for joining me today on Bewilderbeasts. If you'd like this podcast, share and tell all of your friends. It is truly the best way to support the show. And remember, after Memorial Day, we will be taking a break until September, so watch the feed for bonus content, updates, etc. But regular episodes, whatever they will look like, will resume the first week of September 2021. I'm going to need your help to get ideas and plan ahead for the second season of Bewilderbeasts, so pay attention to the news, click the share button, and then send them to me. Here's how. 
If there are topics that you would be interested in hearing about on the podcast, know of any historical animals who changed the world, animals who help humans, wacky animals in the news, or if you have a buoy buddy design, send them to the show. I'd especially love to see how you can use googly eyes and crafting to help the environment. So kids, send them in. There are multiple ways to send things in and let me know what you think of the show. Email bewilderbeastpod at gmail.com. Voice text or DM at bewilderbeastpod on Facebook. Tweet at bewilderedpod or lurk at bewilderbeast on Instagram. I'm Melissa McHugh McGrath, the co-training director of the New England Dog Training Club, author of Considerations for the City Dog, and creator of this podcast. Now go get curious. I got today's information regarding Love is Blind from YouTube.com, Wikipedia.com, Wikipedia.org on the Asian Sheep's Head Rats, TripAdvisor.com, BBC.co.uk, MentalFloss, and BBCEarth.com. Information regarding flunking at a service dog school from People.com, Firehouse.com, PortlandOregon.gov, ArsonDog.org, and NotesFromADogWalker.com. That is my friend, Jess Dulce, who does a lot of compassion fatigue workshops. So if you are a veterinarian or in shelter work or work with animals in some way, absolutely follow my friend Jess, jessicadulce.com. And information regarding Looming Eye Buoy Buddies from goodnewsnetwork.org, msn.com, and theguardian.com. Links, as always, are in the description of today's episode. Intro music is Tiptoe Out the Back by Dan Leibowitz, and interstitial music is by MK2. Don't forget to like and subscribe, review, and please share with your curious friends. You know, all the things every other podcast tells you to do. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week. Yay! You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at podfix on Twitter, official underscore podfix on Instagram, at podfixnetwork on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.